Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is Thoroughly Considered. So after an extremely controversial previous episode, the the infamous episode 32, we've decided to bring things down a notch to round out the year, and we're going to do a Q&A, or thoroughly considered today, and we asked some of the audience, some of our thoroughly considered audience to send in some questions, and I have a I have a small smattering of questions to ask you guys today um, to finish out 2017. So the first one comes from Cubit. Cubit asks, as dads, how has your business impacted your time at home with your children? Do your wives work outside of the home? That kind of thing. Dan, I'll go to you first. Good question. Um, so I have a 13-month uh child human son here at home and congratulations uh, on the human son <laughs> thank you uh and my wife does work outside of the home um and it has been an adjustment for sure um we hired a full-time nanny uh which we saw as uh kind of the best solution for us both being you know full-time uh, workers. Uh, I, I used to have, uh, an office in the home, uh, like downstairs on the first floor. Um, and that, uh, just got converted into a, a child's playroom. And I'm oh. now, uh, upstairs in a, in an extra bedroom basically. Um, and that's worked out well. So kind of the reason for that is, uh, it was, it was, you know, a little bit distracting and I could see it certainly becoming more problematic as he gets older and kind of has more understanding of, Hey, there's dad in there. Let's go play with them. Um, so having a little bit of separation, I think will be good, but honestly it, it remains, uh, you know, an experiment and you kind of have to learn as you go and, and see how, how things work and, and what doesn't work, but, um, it's, it's going okay so far. What about you, Tom? Yes. So I've been, I have a almost three-year-old and almost one-year-old. Um, and so I've been at it a little bit longer and I pretty different situation, almost, I guess, opposite situation from Dan. <laughs> uh, so I work from home and so does my wife, Casey. Um, she is involved in a couple things. She's uh, finishing up a PhD and she's doing some, some, some consulting, like user experience consulting and stuff. So, um, we both have kind of work situations where, you know, we have very flexible timing. So it has become, I guess we've just kind of figured out like a system where we're doing a lot of trading off. Um, one of our kiddos, Evan, he's about to go to like full-time preschool or well, for half a day, but every day. Uh, so that will be a change. But up until now, he we have both kids at home. So um, I will like watch them in the morning. Uh, while Casey does some work and then I'll work the rest of the like the rest of the day until like six or something. Uh, and then I'll work some more at night. So it is it's kind of crazy. My schedule is kind of crazy and weird. But for me, it's like totally worth a trade off because I can spend a lot of time with the kiddos while they're young. Um, so it's kind of crazy. But it's I mean, 
I know that if I had like had to go, if like Studio Neat stopped and I had to go get like a job with, you know, where I had to like commute and it was like a normal nine to five situation. That's what I would miss the most is like being able to like spend time with kiddos. So even though it's like stressful and probably shortening uh, my life <laughs> in terms of like lack of sleep and stuff, it's totally worth, I think, to like to uh, be able to spend time with the kiddos some in the day. Maybe by that assumption, it will be less time overall, though, right? If you considered that, that's well, yeah, it's true, true. Who knows? You know, medical science. I'll just catch up, and okay. don't worry about it. I'll be all bionic and stuff. You know? uh-huh. Uh But yeah, so I mean, but so I work. So I have a similar situation where I was working in a bedroom, like in the house was my office, and then that became a kids' room slash like playroom thing. So now I'm I built like a little office in the garage. Uh, so. So that so I'm kind of a, I've squirreled away as well, uh, but it's it's actually nice. I mean, I think Dan and I we could both we could get an office somewhere, but I think we both really like being at home and being able to like, you know, kind of work on and off really easily and stuff. So yeah, you you can't underestimate the lack of a commute, like how nice that yeah. is. It's awesome. It is interesting that you're both in the same place and you don't have an office, right? Like, especially considering you both yeah. have young families now. Like, that, that is a very interesting decision that the two of you have made. You know, we, I mean, we, it comes up, like, ever so often and we, like, actually think about it and consider it. But, you, you know, like, for me, like, having the shop and, like, prototyping stuff nearby is super helpful because, like, say on the weekend I have an idea or I want to try something, I can just, you know, pop into the garage and, like, do a print or CNC thing or whatever and not have to like go to the office or whatever. So it it's for, you know, productivity and just the ease. It's it's awesome. So, you know, I, I think the ideal situation would be to have a more legit bigger office or something. Um, that would be, but I would still want to be like really close to home. Mm-hmm. I think it's ideal, but it sucks because having employees is difficult. You know, like actual, like physical employees uh, is like, you know, becomes really awkward basically because, you know, They'd be at your, like, in your house all the time. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't, I don't know if that would work so well for you. I have no idea <laughs> yeah. what I'm going to do when we start a family. Like, I, what yeah. I know for sure is that our current home, if we are still here, it will not work because I am in the only spare room in the house, which would have mm-hmm. to become yeah. a nursery. So, but the thing is, my line of work would suggest that I probably shouldn't be in the same house as a screaming baby anyway. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. I <laughs> would probably have to, at that point, find uh, an office space, a recording space, which also brings with it a ton of hassle because I would also have to find somewhere that I wouldn't have screaming humans nearby. Um, yeah. So this is this is just one of those things that's like bouncing around in the back of my head. Of like, eventually, I'm gonna have to change something, but I don't know what it will be or, yeah. or how it will look. I can guarantee you though that that won't be the biggest change in your life. That is <laughs> you true. Know, like you, you'll you'll be like, oh yeah, I have to figure out the work thing, but that's fine. Cause, MBD. Like, my life's completely different now. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. a human that relies on me now, um, so I've got that to think about. But yeah, it is well, something yeah. that I mean, even again, like we don't even know what we're going to do like we don't really i guess there's a lot of that sort of stuff that we don't think about in any real detail right now but um we'll see we'll see how that changes in the future but yeah it's really hard to plan yeah it's really hard to plan 
Nicholas asked, given your digital app and experience, oh, digital app and experience design backgrounds, what do you think of AR, VR, and kind of where it could potentially go? Tom, what do you think? Do you believe in VR at all as like a concept? Do you think that it has any applications? For sure. Um, I think AR more than VR. I mean, it's funny. So I used to work at a company that like we made not AR, but like big, like huge touchscreen experience things for museums. And so I was around that stuff for a long time. And what happens with those interaction models is like they're they're really cool and whiz bang for a while, but then it wears off really quick because it's like a pain to do or it's hard or it's just not that great yet. And so, you know, obviously there's a lot of hype around both technologies and AR, I think, is kind of more of a magic trick. But I do think that AR will will find more usefulness, you know, obviously like an in industry and stuff like that. But I don't know. I I think that when the technology gets way better, sure. And I think, you know, now and in the next couple of years, like little apps and little tools and little, little things will be useful in the AR context. But it just, it just feels like... Uh, like our bodies aren't exactly built for it yet. And we don't have the hardware technology yet to like shrink things small enough to where it doesn't get in the way. So you always have this like aug- this physical thing augmenting your body and that's like annoying. And I think that's the biggest barrier. So, hmm. you know, I think it's a parlor trick for a while still, even though there's a lot of hype. What do you think, Dan? You're smarter than me. Um, hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, I I believe that these two things, AR and VR, are you know, going to be a thing in the future. And uh, I was actually thinking about this a little because they were, uh, Panzerino and Gruber were chatting about this a little on uh, the latest talk show. Um, and it's it's strange. It's one of those things where I think they're both really cool and I believe that both of them will eventually become a thing in terms of like how kind of much of a foothold they have in society. I don't know, but uh, I don't think they're going to be super niche necessarily. Um, so I, I, you know, I believe in them. I believe in their potential. And yet I, there's something about them that I think maybe because they're still a little too far off where I don't think about them ever. And I don't get excited by them or like things that we could design for them. Um, it's nothing I've really even thought about. <laughs> and I don't know if that's kind of telling uh, of like kind of my excitement level about them. But um, I've done a VR thing uh, very briefly, like a demo. It was super cool. And it like totally convinced me like, okay, this is, this is good enough now. Uh, Yes. It has all of these uh, it's clunky. You have all these cords hanging off and it's heavy, but they've kind of crossed a threshold of like, this is an incredibly compelling experience. And affordable to a degree now and it's kind of only going to get better um but i don't i don't it doesn't excite me in the way of like wanting to build stuff for it yet i think it's like styluses and ipads where you could draw on an ipad for like six years before someone made a good stylus and now that the like apple has like the pencil i now want to draw and sketch on ipad rather than paper like it's like vastly preferred for me for the kind of thing i do Mm -hmm. so i think it's going to be you know that longer longer until you know 
And for me, it's really about physicality. You know, VR, like VR, it's like awkward. What, you're going to sit in a room by yourself with a bunch of stuff on you? Maybe. Are you going to do that with other people? Absolutely not. For a long time, probably. So it's, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of physical awkwardness about it, I think. But we'll see. We'll get there. Yeah, I mean, I think the the clearest, uh, the quickest path, um, which is already happening now, is gaming, right? Where, like, sitting in a room by yourself, like, already happens with, mm-hmm. with uh, gaming. So, it's like, this, the scenario is already there um, for that type of experience. So, the question is, like, it, you know, how quickly is it going to, you know, expand beyond that, you know, pretty specific use case? Yeah, for both, I think that it is difficult right now for us to have any practical applications outside of gaming, like for, for both AR and VR. They are the easiest experiences to create for both. Um, and you can make things uh, that work in you know AR and VR that aren't games, but they're less compelling to people, especially VR. Like it, there really is. I mean, you can, oh, great. Like I can be in the Coliseum in Rome, like amazing. But really it's way more exciting and effective to play a video game because there is motion and you're controlling it and it can be quite an experience for people. So I think I think video games make the most sense right now, but that's just because they're maybe the easiest to conceive. I mean, do you know anyone that actually has a VR like set up and does it at their house? Me. Because here's the problem. It's you're not you're not sitting. I have you're, it. you're wandering around an open space. Okay, well, there's there's a couple of things on this. So, one, I have a PlayStation VR, and I'm going to be building a gaming PC this year so I can get an Oculus. And the thing is, most of these games are built so that you're not wandering around, right? Because you can't wander around because yeah. you'll yeah. hit the wall. So, th- like, they're, yeah. they're not built to wander around. Like, the, the games are different. Like, you don't you don't play a Call of Duty where you're running around and jumping under obstacles and stuff, like... The, the the way that the games yeah. are built are different, so that movement is constricted, um, and it's probably always going to be like that. And then it's just a uh, game design thing of trying to like work out different movement models. But is that even VR? I mean, like you know, I mean, this is like we don't need to go on this rabbit hole, but it just feels like it, that is like not taking advantage of the technology in any way well, like but it, well, you know, it is but with the limitations of the technology and the limitations are you can't move because you can't move but i will tell you right now i have played some experiences in vr where i lost my sense of what reality was like <laughs> it can get you like it is yeah yeah incredible if it gets you but it it has to be the right game in the right exp- in the right environment I, I think I forget if it was Gruber or, or Panzer in that uh, the episode of the talk show that I mentioned, but uh, they brought up a really good point of um, it's about removing a layer of abstraction, and it's similar to uh, you know going from computers with the moving a mouse uh, to touch a button versus you know a touchscreen where you're just directly manipulating it. It's similar. VR is a similar. Uh, transition where now instead of having to move a joystick or a mouse to change your view, you just like tilt your head. Mm-hmm. And that removal of that abstraction, uh, I think for a lot of people is either compelling or uh, kind of crucial for them to kind of get over that hump of, you know, manipulating software or manipulating their environment. 
Yeah, I think a lot of it is yet to be seen, honestly. And I, and I think that no one's given up on this for a while because yeah. AR and VR is the only f- realistic future technology that any tech company can perceive. Like, this is just what everyone's <laughs> fighting for right now because it's yeah. all that there is. So everyone <laughs> is fighting for it because it's, it is the only next platform that exists after mobile. So people are going for it because... Well, what that you can sell got? hardware on too, in particular. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. So yeah. this is this is kind of where we are, like it or not. Uh, our next question comes from Jeff. Jeff says, "I would love to know what the definition of success is for your products, and what kind of things you look for to determine the products you've made, whether they are successful." So, uh, Dan, what do you think? How how do you just define success for a studio neat product, and then how do you measure it? Yeah, good question. And we don't seem to have a strict criteria. Um, I mean, obviously, sales <laughs> are factor into it, but we've never really uh, done any kind of official like, okay, here is how much like time and money we invested in this product. Here, you know, here let's compare that against sales and, and see if it was worth it. We've never done anything like that. It's at best, it's been kind of a, a back of the envelope uh calculation um but there are some things that are interesting like uh if anyone remembers simple bracket which was like our college basketball uh tournament iphone app from several years ago we just did it for one year it was a kickstarter project and that was an utter failure in terms of like uh from the business side of it like it did not make nearly enough money for it to justify how many hours we put into it but it felt it was like fun to do and uh people really liked it like it was kind of critically acclaimed uh, it got a good reaction um and i just uh, there was someone that tweeted at us the other day that he said like Simple Bracket was his introduction to our company and he since bought like several of our products. So I was like, yay, it worked. <laughs> uh, but that that's a weird, you know, that's one that's very tricky to define the success for because like, like I said, from a business side, it absolutely was not a success, but it's a little bit harder to measure uh, some of these other things and how it helps, you know, with branding and introducing people to studio need and things. So it's sometimes it's really hard to measure actually. I think one factor is just like longevity, basically, um, like how long, how big the long tail is on a product. So, you know, launches, launches feel really good. But if a product kind of stays around and is like a healthy source of re- like revenue going forward for a couple of years, that to me feels like really good. Um, and if we don't want to change it like for a long time, like we're happy with it. And it kind of just is there. Like, I feel like the cosmonaut is like, really it's our longest live. It's like since it's six years old, almost seven. And it's still like, I still feel really good about it. Like in, in a way, um, and the people who buy it now kind of buy it for different reasons than just like a straight up stylist. So that feels really good. It feels just like we hit it. Like it was a good design, solidly made, like robust. And so that I think is, um, yeah, it's one. Do you agree, Dan, that like that is like a satisfying or that's like one way to measure? We don't really think about it that much. Yeah, but. totally. Yeah. It's, 
it's uh yeah big launches always feel good but it's true that it's really kind of the long tail that is what is most important and you can't it's easy to kind of be overly excited about the successful launch but if it just you know peters off then you're not in that good of a place but if it if it can sustain then um it's much better i'm interested maybe a little bit surprised that you don't have any kinds of metrics i mean i know that the metrics would differ product to product right because different products are going to generate things differently but how do you know if something has been a success for you if you don't have any way of measuring it yeah i mean part of it is we also don't track hours uh yeah and so that would be you know that's where a lot of the investment is just labor between the two of us um, yeah but that's kind so, of thing for, for the two of you i don't i don't think that that's a necessary thing to track but that's how that's how we would have to because you so we do we are focused on like how much revenue and then margin right so profit margin right, and cool. revenue well that's great that's what i was looking for then like yeah. i was like you gotta have you gotta have yeah. something right like yeah, yeah for sure like we know what our best-selling products are and like what has good margins or whatever um for sure so those are two really good factors but but basically we you know if we don't have the margins uh and it's not they're not going to bring in significant revenue. We usually don't like launch a product. That's like something we kind of tease out, right. try to tease out from the beginning. So, okay. you know, it's tricky. But yeah, we look at those things for sure, like every day. But um, in terms of like some sort of cost benefit or profitability or like, you know, development costs. Yeah, that's it would. Yeah, we'd have to like track hours and do all this stuff. It's just like not worth it. It's like, we, it's like a gut feeling. I mean, I have worked out like like a roughly hourly rate for me and all that kind of stuff and i've measured things against mm-hmm. it but my general overall feeling and and i think that this would apply for the two of you too is like as long as i'm making money i'll just do anything that i want with my business right like mm-hmm. if if you guys spend a thousand hours working on like one specific part of the thing that's probably not very cost efficient but if you're still making money as a business anyway, then just do whatever parts make you happy, and and like as long as everything as long as everything is working out in the aggregate, that's fine. Yeah, I understand that thinking, but that is probably the myth. I think we had that exact same thinking uh, when we were doing Simple Bracket, which we basically worked on for two years, not continuously, but on and off. Um, it was an incredible investment of our time and I, I kind of think back to wonder what could we have been doing instead of that if we yeah, were a little more like, focused and that could go yeah. on. You could, you could do that forever though. Right. And like, but, yeah. but my other, my, my challenge to you would be if you do feel that way, then why aren't you tracking anything? Well, it's not even, a, uh, I don't think we have to track. I think we just have to just be a little bit like double thinking about that so and it's usually like software like there's a lot of software projects we don't do for that very reason Mm -hmm. where we know it will be a huge time sink and we just we don't let ourselves and i think that's basically what dan's saying it's like we just are a little bit more thoughtful about like you know what's the possible return on investment like on this thing because for us like you know we're doing pretty good right now in terms of like company revenue and stuff because we've had two years in a row where we had like good kickstarter launches like a big product releases Mm -hmm. but you know like with obi that really like kicked us in the shins because we had worked on it for seven or eight months and then it didn't happen and so we're kind of way behind the curve so that's where we had to be careful is you know 
we yeah, we're working on you know something right now or a couple things and like if they don't do well then you know we like almost lost a year without a big product release and so that's like you know that's that's rough so that's kind of what we have to like guard against and like developing a big app would take the place basically of like a seventh month or more development process and so you know it's a big risk basically yeah i understand that like i get that like but I think that you're you're learning from it though, right? That's just my point. You you yeah, yeah. you're paying attention to the way that you work and you're making adjustments based on it. But you probably don't need to, and yes, you're not like track literally everything that you're doing. I think tracking. I I think tracking time would actually be a really bad thing for us because yeah. we would. We are the last thing we need. We need to spend more time being open and like being creative and like mm-hmm. wandering around in our brains because mm-hmm. that's like our, the most valuable thing we do. And so if we were like starting to like track that and be all persnickety, I think it would be really detrimental. It would also, I think, stop us from doing some of the like brand, like things that are really valuable to the brand. Uh, And so, yeah, I I think it's a little bit dangerous to be that um, for us. There are mindsets, right? So like I track my time, but I track my time as a way to answer other types of questions. Like, Mm -hmm. how do I feel today? Well, let me see how much time I've logged. Okay, that answers that question, right? Like, why do I feel this way? <laughs> oh, it's because I haven't worked today, so I'm nice and relaxed. Or like, oh, I've I've worked an excessive amount. Like, I I, I track my time as like it for a couple of reasons. That's one, and the other one is like just like a it helps me like kind of mode shift where I'm like, well, now I'm mm-hmm. tracking the time. I actually have to do the work. Like, there are reasons to do it, but yeah. like you don't have to. Like, nobody has to, but. There can be reasons, and one of those reasons can be to help you work out if you're spending enough time on a project. But you guys are doing yeah. you guys are doing fine right now. Parker asked, um, "I took a class in manufacturing and assembly this semester at college. I thought about this show a lot during it. Was wondering how much your design process is determined by how a product is going to be produced at volume. Uh, every everything, every step of the way. Like we are." We, like we will have an idea for a product and immediately all of those ideas are tested right away against oh you know at what scale do we, would we have to do that like can we do it at smaller scale so it's like i think we're actually i think it's one really great thing about us doing everything in-house in terms of like design and coordinating the manufacturing and sometimes manufacturing is those are those problems are never far apart, and I think that does limit us sometimes. And I, I think I, I catch like sometimes I will poo-poo an idea because I think it's too hard to manufacture, um, and I just like didn't have the right answer or whatever at the time. So it is a little bit tr- dangerous to like be thinking about it so early in the design process. But we, yeah, I mean, right away we are evaluating everything against. Um, and sometimes we'll really like something and we won't know how to do it or we won't know if it's feasible and we'll still be like, okay, well, let's try to figure it out. It's not like we immediately close off ideas, but yeah, we are always um, testing the d- 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 design against like, manufacturability and like cost and stuff like that. Uh, Tom, didn't you teach a class that was basically precisely this type oh, of thing? Well, for designers. And so it was very... Um, like in intuition based you know yeah but it was getting them it was getting them to think about this very thing right like when you make something it needs to be manufactured it's not just a one-off thing yeah because i mean you know if you're a designer and you're 
not used to manufacturing things, you just, and a lot of industrial design firms do this where they just, they'll, they'll just do some sketches and it's very like surface and it's very like, here's how I want it to look or function. And then it's like, oh, well, they'll just figure out the manufacturing later. And that is like a completely broken way to approach making physical things because the manufacturing determines details. It determines like everything about the product. So to, to, to just like wave your hand and be like, oh, this will just get figured out later and like it will be fine. It's like you're lying to yourself and creating problems for yourself. So the, the, more, the, the more and more experience we get at Studio Neat, the more and more we will do this. And we'll be better at it because it's critical. I and mean, it's like the only, you know, it, it's like what you have to do. That's like, that's the big barrier to making physical things, objects, is you, even if you're just 3D printing stuff, you know, you have to, you have to understand the constraints of the 3D printer or whatever and what that does to the design and manufacturability. All right, Brian asks, how are plans for a Qi charger coming along? I'm just beginning to buy them and want something that isn't a plastic mess with ugly power bricks. That seems like a problem you could solve. Oh, I forgot <laughs> to delete this question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, we can talk about it. We yeah, talk, no, it's, we're, it's all good. <laughs> I, the simple answer is we are, we, are, we are like thinking about it. We don't have any, we haven't committed to doing anything. Uh, we have a couple ideas, um, but we definitely are interested. And so we don't know, you know, we're interested. We have an idea, but we don't know when or what or where or if. But, you know, if you're holding your breath, um, you know, I wouldn't. Uh, but, you know, there, I would definitely like one thing to do is, yeah, just to tr tr I honestly, after like looking at this more, I think the like obsession about like speed of wireless charging is like silly and a distraction and so just get the cheapest uh either stand up or flat on your desk version on amazon that are like 12 bucks and just see if you like it like see how it is in your life before you get like an expensive one because i don't know it's it's interesting I, after thinking about it some i think it's, it's interesting I, I think there's definitely some problems to solve um but it's worth just getting a cheap one from Amazon just to try it out. Make sure it says fast charge uh, in really big letters across it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Blue LEDs, everything. Perfect. The cheap <laughs> ones really freak me out, though. Like, I'm just... Why? Uh, I'm just worried they're going to explode. Nah, because... So here's the thing. Here's the good thing about them is the part that does the power converting, you can just use apples. So you can just use, like, Apple's little, little brick that's USB. So you don't have to worry about that thing. And then... They're really low voltage, so maybe a small fire. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't think it'll. I mean, you know, obviously, I don't know, but it, it um, I pretty low risk. It, it like way less risky than buying a crappy, uh, like China made, like weird branded, um, little power brick for your to charge your phone. That is dangerous to buy. But if you're using like an Apple one. You know, in your phone, you don't, don't have to worry about your phone because your phone will moderate itself. You know, it's not, it's not relying on the little base. The bases are really dumb. They're like stupid. They're like three coils or two coils of wire with a little controller. They're very, they're very, they're very dumb. So I, I, I think it's pretty low risk, actually. Way, way less risk than buying a like third party um, little power adapter thing that you plug in the wall. Way less risk. Just like to say that Real FM LLC uh, does not necessarily endorse anything <laughs> endorse. that tom says 
Uh, just, as yeah. a, just as a general rule, blanket rule, <laughs> that you can just apply always. Um, I would really like a, uh, I would really, I've said this to you guys privately. I'll say it now in front of everyone because we're talking about it. I, w- I would really like um, a Chi version of the Material Duck because I've been mostly unhappy with the design of everything that I've seen. Plus, I don't, I just don't want it to be my phone to be completely loose. I don't like that. Like, I want there to be something that's kind of holding it in place. Um, but yeah, I'm also super cool with the material docs that I own, and I don't really need anything. Like, I'm good. I'm, I'm all good. The, 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 the wireless charging lifestyle just really hasn't taken to me. I've, I have a wireless <laughs> charging pad, and I'm just like, it just doesn't get, I just don't get it. I feel like an old man. I don't get it. Like, I just don't get it. Like, oh, great. I could just put it down, but like, I have to make sure it lines up. I might, yeah. like, um, yeah, I'm not sold on this one. I've got to say, I'm not sold on this one. I mm. think it's, uh, I think it takes a lot of thought for it to be right. It's, it's, tr- it's really, tr- it's tricky because it, like, it becomes part of your environment all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. It's like way different than a dock in a way. I don't know. I think because it's I something. tend to put my phone down in one of two places, and I have a dock in both of those places, it kind of isn't a problem mm. for me. I have one at my yeah. desk and one at my bedside, like. That tends to be where my phone is when it's not in my pocket. So I'm my phone is pretty much always charged whenever I'm at home because when I'm at my desk, which is for long periods of the day, it's in the dock. So, like, I'm good. So maybe that's why I'm not getting it. I don't know. But, like, it, it, I, just, I just don't get it right now. Um, and our last question comes from Patrick. Patrick asks, What were your biggest worries when starting and sustaining Studio Neat and how have you defeated them? Dan, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I think starting out out back in uh, 2010, I guess it was, um, my biggest concerns, I think, were always uh, like getting ripped off. Uh, So having just someone, you know, make a knockoff of our thing and and putting us out of business or kind of similarly having a competitor come in, you know, specifically, you know, someone bigger and just kind of wiping us out. Basically like our sales evaporating overnight, uh, was kind of the, the thing that would keep me up at night. Um, and how have you defeated them? Uh, I don't know. I just, I guess experience of it being seven years and that stuff kind of does happen. Uh, but it's, it's okay. Like the, we're, we're kind of operating in this little window where um, the idea of our sales just evaporating overnight uh, because of a knockoff or a competitor doesn't really, that's not, that can't really happen. Um, And as long as we continue to keep putting out, you know, new products, we'll kind of stay ahead of the curve. So I I guess just how I defeated it is just (laughs) being in it for seven years and kind of getting used to it and, and realizing that it's not, it's not really a threat. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, uh, I would agree. I didn't worry much about that exactly, but I remember. I think the like the times where we got, I got the most like butterflies in my stomach was when that would happen. Like either we were planning to release a product on Kickstarter, and then one would come out like very similar to it at the like right before, and was like, oh no! But it turns out it doesn't make a big difference. Um, You know, I think. for me, and it was, you know, starting it, we never had a big struggle starting, you know, because of the crazy Kickstarter launch. So 
I don't have a lot there, but in terms of sustaining, I mean, you know, my, I think like two years ago and it was more where it, you know, it felt a little bit more like rocky or like, is it really horrible that we're kind of, we're kind of depending on like launch to launch in a way. Um, but now I'm, I'm pretty resigned to being okay with that, that like, that's what we do. Like we make products and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, all of these things we, I don't think we've implemented, we've implemented a little bit of like strategy, but most of the ways we have like become okay with these things, we're not actually making concrete changes, but just I think changing our mindset, just like being okay with either uncertainty or having faith that, you know, branding is really important and we do a good job at that. So, yeah, it's funny that we, I mean, we've, of course, have like changed course some, but I think most of the anxiety, we've actually dealt with just the anxiety instead of like trying to make a bunch of strategic changes, like all over the map. But we've actually just like, I guess both individually, it sounds like, just dealt directly with the anxiety instead of f- like flailing into like, oh, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this, you know, like really trying to do different strategy. And I guess what that means is we really believe in the strategy we're taking. Like there doesn't seem to be a simple answer that's like a structural change. Uh, so it's really just like, well, no, this is what we're doing. I guess we just like better be okay with it, <laughs> which I mean, I think is good. I think it's healthy. It could be the wrong answer, but at least, um, at least we like feel like we're like steadfast about those principles. Patrick also said um, that they love highball, which is a which mm-hmm. is a great comment. But it leads us to our final question today, which comes from me: uh, Why mm-hmm. do you refuse to embrace the notch? <laughs> um, we we this, this was, was a, a debate this was an argument yes i i yeah. bet it um, was <laughs> what so with highball in particular i think we would embrace the notch and we had we'd like gone back and forth and i think i was the main well there were several reasons but with highball in particular this was the if you want to technical if you want to get in the weeds this is the reason so the way highball works for those of you who don't know it's it's basically the metaphor is like a stack of cards and on the home screen you have this like stack of cards where you can see the top like 10% of a card and they're different colors and like when you scroll through they kind of like stack up at the top in this cool animation and then when you click on one the card kind of goes full screen and so you're just seeing this shape of a card so the problem is we had the design where in the full screen of the card, it does go like up into the notch. And it's like, it's like there's a notch taken out of the card. You know, that's kind of what it looks like. But the problem is we couldn't embrace the notch uh, on the home screen where the cards are stacking up. It it would like create a lot of problems and it would like be visually very strange. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was important to keep that, that kind of symbol of the card of like the top of the card with the round rect and the title in the same place consistent in between the transition for the home screen and the full screen card. And so I didn't want to have it have a notch kind of when it's in full screen mode. And so that was for me, the main reason why I didn't want to embrace the notch. And I think it would just cause a ton of problems and it would have caused a lot more work. And I didn't also thought it wasn't worth sinking the time into like updating the app, a bunch of reasons, but from a design perspective, that was my main rationale. And I, 
I think I was just stubborn and Dan was like, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a victory to fight too much over. Yeah, I so I wanted to do... I had kind of mocked it up both ways where the full screen card view was truly full screen where the notch was cutting into it or what we actually implemented where the card kind of stops just short of the notch. And uh, I'd gone back and forth. And then after living with the iPhone 10 for a while, I was like, you know what? This really should be like full screen where the notch eats into it. Um, but and so Tom's argument, which he just said, I don't fully agree with because I think the animation transition would happen like fast enough to where it actually wouldn't be disorienting. I think it would look fine. But the reason I was convinced is that it was a, it was much more technically challenging to do that. And getting back to what we talked about earlier, like we can't really afford to be sinking so much time into this thing that isn't that good of an investment. So we kind of just did the, um, the update with the least amount of friction to kind of get it working for the iPhone 10. So, but I've, as per our previous conversation, uh, I've, be- I've become a, a notch embracer. I do mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. it, uh, it does make sense to, uh, have your, your stuff going up into those agree. little corners. Like if it just looking at this, if, if the app was just the screen of like a full screen, the full card screen. I don't know how you say that. If it was just like like a card, I completely agree we should embrace the notch. I think it's like better and it makes sense, but it was just the transition thing and keeping it consistent that kind of mm-hmm. that I thought was important. So so I'm I'm on team embrace notch. I think it's uh think I'm it's sorry we disappointed you, Mike. It's okay. Yeah, sorry. It's okay. It's also it's really it's a shame too because because of where the status bar is positioned vertically and those little ears, like you actually, there's so much wasted space below the notch. Like the, the UI isn't coming all the way up to the very bottom of the notch. You like have to have more padding. Uh, so the status bar yeah. doesn't look weird. So it really is kind of a shame uh, to not embrace the notch. Cause you end up just kind of wasting a lot of space. Yeah, that's true. But I will say like, just like from designing and like like for like it is so nice to have that extra vertical space on the bottom and like on the top it it is really nice to have all that space um Uh, it feels uh, like really open (laughs) i i want to turn this into another uh tech show already but uh (laughs) what is up with like the home indicator just like not disappearing when you watch videos uh, like, I feel like that home indicator is way too present and I understand why it is. It's like training wheels now, but I foresee a, a version of iOS where that thing is just completely gone because everyone or just has 5% like a, opacity or something, yeah, just like barely there. Like, yeah. Everyone's kind of learned the new behavior, but I find it way too overbearing, uh, as it, as it currently stands. What apps are you watching it in when the, the home indicator is remaining? Yeah, so it's it's kind of inconsistent because I think if you're uh you know, if you're using their kind of video playback API or whatever properly, yeah. it it's supposed to go away all the time, but I would say the majority of times I'm watching a video, the indicator is there. Yeah, that's 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 bad app development. That that is yeah. because well, yeah. well it is because you, big... you you have to be of a full class in time, right? If you say you're a, a full size application like a full window application, it hides the home indicator, right? Like it does this for games and for videos. Like YouTube does it. 
I well, it. YouTube no, doesn't do it. No, not. So I just, I just uh, downloaded Inside, uh, which is a full screen game. And that ha- that's another example of the indicator just being there right, but, and but being really I mean distracting. That's because they are not saying to the system that they are full screen. Right, like that. It, it's yeah. not. Um, uh, this is something that developers have to, to like. They claim that they are full sized, like full screen. I should yeah. say. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, it is weird. Um, I doubt. I bet you that. Well, I guess YouTube does. I feel like YouTube used to not do it, but now they do. Yeah, maybe like when it came out, YouTube probably didn't do it because it didn't update quick enough. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Now it does, though. I'm just, like checking now because I remember being like, oh. I thought that because they had their own custom video player, they couldn't do it, but now they are. So I guess you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's lots, there's lots of problems with, uh, just like whether it's Apple's fault or the app developers fault with video specifically, like Mm -hmm. how the like volume thing, like still comes up in the center of the screen sometimes, even though they like updated it to be only in the corner or whatever. Like, well, I can tell you why that's still a problem. It's because the AV foundation framework that all that stuff is based off of is abysmal and horribly documented. (laughs) (laughs) Like, as a person who is actually pretty expert in that because of, like, Framographer and Slow Fast Slow, it is the one of the worst uh, frameworks to work in. It is is horrible. It is horrible, horrible, and confusing. So that's why. It's just, like, broken. (laughs) (laughs) It's, like, really old. It's, like, what... You know, it's like QuickTime. It's like, it's really powerful, which is awesome because we can do things like slow, fast, slow and framographer. But, uh, it, but yeah, it's just, it's really hard. It's really hard to develop in. It's really yeah. difficult. All right. So that was our accidental tech podcast then at the end yeah. of our Q&A. <laughs> da, da, da. Thank you so much for listening to Thoroughly Considered this year. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, we'll be back now yeah. in 2018. Happy holidays and uh, happy new year to all of you out there. And thanks for your questions. Yeah, happy holidays. Yeah, Yeah, thanks. thanks. Thoroughly Considered is a joint production between Relay FM and Studio Neat. If you'd like to find out more about this episode, go to relay.fm slash tc slash 33. We'll see you next year.